0: And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord had made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It was the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold, and the gold of the land is good. Bedulum and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of, of the garden. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die good morning cornerstone my name is aaron Wardle. it's my pleasure to be jumping in on our series beginnings wisdom and the words of genesis and today we find ourselves in the section of scripture where we are in the middle of the garden of eden god has created man After creating man, he goes and he plants and causes to to sprout from the ground, plants and trees that are pleasing to the sight, and they are good for food. And then he plants two special trees right there in the middle, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. After that, he causes water to spring, a river to spring up from the ground to water that garden, to water that orchard, and to flow from that place to all over out of the Garden of Eden and it divides into four separate rivers. God then takes and he places man in that garden and he says, this is yours, keep it. And all of these trees, every one of these trees are good for you to eat, and they will give sustenance and they will give life, but there's one tree that's not for you, and that's not for you to eat. And that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's where we're gonna spend our time today. There's probably no more controversial, complex, confusing, and mysterious tree in all of nature or in all of literature or in all of the Bible than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that's where we're going to spend our time today. And so what I'm going to ask is that we spend a little time and that we pray together and you pray for me, that I may speak the words of the Lord. Holy Spirit, please flow through me. I ask, even as this wind is blowing, that this is the wind, and I just set my sails right now. I set my sails of of what you're showing me in your word, and I humble myself, and I ask, Lord, may what's of me be forgotten. But Lord, I ask what is of you, may it stick. And may this be a time, as we look at this tree, may we return our lives to the center and place you at the center of our lives. Holy Spirit, do all you want to do. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. You know, there's many different thoughts about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when we read this and when we hear about it, oftentimes we get a picture in our mind of what it was like. But oftentimes we are listening and reading about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil through the lens of chapter 3. When the fruit is eaten and there is this shattering between the relationship between God and humanity. But what I would like to do today is I want us just to begin by looking at the tree that was in chapter 2. If we could just set on the shelf for a minute all the ramifications and the consequences of Adam and Eve eating from that tree and we just set it there for a moment and we just spent a little time and I want us just to look at the tree as it stands. So if you turn in your Bibles and you, you will look in Genesis chapter 2 begins just to talk and there's not a lot of print about it but there's a few things that we need to see we need to look at the language the origin the location and the order and I believe by doing that it gives us a view of the tree in which we can then look at chapter 3 where there's the introduction of sin and as you know as we've talked many times at cornerstone that the Old Testament is written in Hebrew such a beautiful and incredible language and so the first thing I want to do is I want us to dive in and just look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in its original language and see what it tells us about this tree. As this tree has caused many to trip over its roots, let's just look at this, that the word tree, etz. In the word, the word etz is the Hebrew word for tree and it will be astounding to realize that it actually means in Hebrew, tree. It's a plant. And from that plant that bears fruit, but this tree, and the tree of the knowledge, and this knowledge is da'ath. And da'ath is a word that comes from the root of yada, and yada is to know. But it is more than just to know cognitively, it is to know experientially, to experience. And so when the writer is writing about this tree, this tree is not just about cognitive knowledge, but this is experiential, it's knowing. Discovering, understanding, discerning, and experiencing. And so this was the tree of experiencing, of discerning, of discovering. And then it goes into the word tov, which Brian had a great sermon on that, talking about the word tov, which means good, pleasing. And then in the Hebrew, it says ra, ra'ah. And this is of evil, wicked, hurtful, or affliction. And so this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it isn't just this outside knowledge that they would be able to have this, but it is the tree of the understanding, perceiving, discovering, experiencing good and experiencing affliction, evil, pain, and wickedness. As we look at the tree and we continue moving on in this, we see that not only is the language important, but the origin of this tree is important. Oftentimes that, you know, when I have looked in my Sunday school books or in Christian paintings or in in, uh, in art, there's oftentimes this picture of the tree is off to the side of the garden, and it's this sinister object. It's kind of really wrapped and warped, and it is dispensing this evil fruit. But one of the things that we have to realize is the origin of this tree actually comes Comes from God. God plants this tree and in the section of scripture that it tells us about that it says that there were trees that were good and pleasing to the sight and good for fruit and then there was the tree of life and so this tree falls under the creation of God and at every point when God creates something at the end of it he says it's good. And so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good was planted by god it was something that god put there and not only did god put it in the garden but he put it in a very specific location and the location in which he put this tree is in the middle Now, it's not off to the side, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is placed among all of these trees. It's an orchard of just many, many, many trees in which there is food and sustenance and that are beautiful. And then it is among all those trees. And then along with that, it is also standing right beside the tree of life. And the tree of life is right there. And the tree of knowledge and good and evil is, is in the middle of the Garden of Eden. All of life would have centered around that location. So it has this very specific and special location. It had a river that was flowing by its roots that would flow up out of the ground, watering the plants around it, and then flowing out into all the other places in creation. But we see in the language and we see in the origin that God plants the tree. And I've had to shift my mind on this because I've looked at it as something that was bad. But this tree is something that is good because God said it was good. So we go into this and we continue to move to kind of understand, we see that in this passage there is the very specific order of things. When God speaks and there is light. And, you, and there was life. And he begins to divide the light from the darkness and he divides the water from the land. And all through creation, there is specific order that is going on. And the poem or the writing, the narrative of Genesis 1 and 2 is very specific. And we have to be able to catch the meaning in the order. Because in the Hebrew language, order is important. It's a literary device. And we see that in this passage, when God is talking and he is writing about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the first thing we see that is among trees that were meant for prevail provision and care trees that were for food and then we see that God has the tree of life that is right next to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we see that that is a provision and then after God talks about all the things that he's done out of his care and love for humanity his provision then he goes to the forbidden tree that is for prohibition says this one isn't for you these all of these trees are for you except for this one And I think that there's something important to note there, that before God makes a commandment not to do something, He establishes what He has done for us. Isn't that kind of amazing? He sets the stage of saying, all this is for your provision, except for this one, and this is prohibition, this is not for you. Along with order, we see that God the language is specific, the origin is specific, the location is specific, the order in which it was created and talked about is specific. But then we go in the order that God is commanding them. And he says, his, his, one of his first mitzvahs, his first commandment, he said, you can eat of any of these trees, but you can't eat of this one. Because this one's not for you, this one's mine. And doing so, he creates a new sense of order. And as we look at this tree and as God forbids them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he is creating some amazing things that as we read through and we read between the lines and we look at it, when God says, this one's not for you, I have created it, I think it's good, but it's not for you. What God does is creates order in his commandment and he uh, establishes his authority, a visible representation of his authority. As if to say, I am the owner of all of this, and I am letting you occupy this. I'm even giving you some of my authority, but I'm still the owner of this. This is mine, and I say to you, you can't eat this tree. And when they did that, when God said, you can't have this tree, it establishes the hierarchy that he is God and that humanity is not. And that's incredibly important, that at the center of the garden, there was a physical representation and reminder for them to say, he is God, the owner and I am not this belongs to him Psalm 24 the psalmist would say that the earth is the Lord and all that is in it and so it's his so he establishes his authority from that by saying to them that you can't eat of this tree he is saying and he's establishing relational roles with them reminding them to say I've created you in my image but I have not created you as my equal And when he forbade them to eat of that tree, it's creating this hierarchy, the otherness of God and establish, I am God and you are my people. And the roles because of that one tree being forbidden were defined. And so I look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not as a temptation, but as a boundary that was creating order for them to know his authority, to creating relational roles for them but also something else he was infusing into the human nature will and choice they had the choice to obey and disobey because he said don't eat of this tree but many times i focus so much on the one tree he told them not to eat of instead of the many 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 ways he said here's the way you choose obedience Eat of this tree, of this tree, of this tree, of this tree, of that plant, of this tree. All of this is for you. And every time you pluck the fruit of that and eat it, you're obeying. But there's only one tree that you can't. And by doing that, he creates a sense that humanity has the ability to choose. They aren't an animal with just the instincts that they have to. You know, as we look at it now, it isn't a robot that is just programmed to be able to do certain things. But he is creating for them a sense of choice and will. And he does that out of love. So in this creating of order, he gives an example of his love to say, you obey me out of love, out of response to my love and my provision to you. You abstain for certain things, not because you have to and I demand it and I make you. I find it interesting that he didn't put a big moat around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and he didn't put a gate and there wasn't high boundaries with barbed wire on it. The things that kept them from eating that to this point was gratitude for the love of God. It was their connection. So it establishes authority, relational roles. We also see that it infuses will and choice, but it also reveals capacity. Because as I said before, God created man in his image, but not as equal. And so there's things that humanity were not able to do that God was able to do. And so one of the things, and I love the writing of of Gregory Boyd in in his book, Repenting of Religion. He begins to talk, and I want to read this because he says that, that, that not eating that tree was a capacity issue. That God is the only one who is able to handle the knowledge of good and evil. God is omniscient, and His character is such that He is not impacted or indulges in evil. He says these words. He says, in our fallen state, we find this very difficult to do. And this fact reveals another fundamental feature of our illegitimate knowledge we seize from the forbidden tree. By its very nature, the divine knowledge of good and evil rejects ambiguity. For this knowledge rightfully belongs only to the omniscient God from whom nothing is ambiguous. The vast complexity of the world is no problem for God. With perfect clarity and perfect character, God knows good and evil. When we see the divine prerogative of knowing good and evil, we appropriate the impulse to be omniscient without possessing the divine capacity to be omniscient. We are thus inclined to act like God in pronouncing judgment, but we do not do it without God's perfect clarity and character. We also do it without God's fullness. I think that that is profound. And I look at this very different, that just that tree on that own was a boundary of capacity. That God knew that humanity did not have the capacity to handle omniscience. And so He protected them from it. And so with this tree, and the language that is used, with the origin that is used, uh, that is planted by God, the location in which it's planted in the middle, the flow in which it's after all these things, that provision precedes prohibition, because it establishes the love relationship and the goodness of God, but it also uh, separates the relationship between the nature and the character of humanity and God, and also this command where God says, guys everything's for you, but this is not. Why? Because I am God and you are not. And after that, I have the capacity for this and you don't. And so the act of prohibiting the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was protection. You know, as I said at the beginning of this, I would love to try to, uh, Just look at this for a few moments in just looking at chapter 2. But really, we can't, you know, if you've been around the stories of Genesis and the stories of creation, you really can't look at Genesis chapter 2 about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil on its own without beginning to infuse the story of Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see that it says, Now the serpent knowing good and evil. So when a woman saw that it was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and the tree was, a de- was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave it to her husband who was with her. Then their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Very different scene. You know, I... Uh, for, for years, I taught um, a Exploring the Bible class at Ashland University. And in the class was people of all different faiths. And one of the things was Genesis 1 and 2 are kind of high points, but the story takes a big twist real fast. And one of the things is the students began to see that. But we see that with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's something that's been created by God. Something that's at the middle, but it also is at the center of the great shattering. The serpent speaks to Eve. It says the serpent was the wisest. And he begins to deceive her. You can't eat of any of these trees. Oh, we can eat of the trees. We just can't eat of that one. We're not supposed to eat of that tree. In fact, we're not supposed to even touch it. I think it's interesting to note, and that could be a whole other sermon that Eve adds, we're not even supposed to touch it because God never said they weren't supposed to touch it. They just weren't supposed to eat of it. And then after that, it says that she perceived that the tree was good and good for eating and it was a delight and that it would give you insight and it was to be desired for insight. And there she begins to reach out to take a bite of that fruit and then give it to her husband. As we look at this tree, this is where the tree becomes the suspect. But the real suspect is not the tree, it's humanity and something happens before the first bite Before Eve even grabs that fruit, whatever it was, and takes a bite of it, something happened. I believe, and some scholars believe, that sin began even before the first bite. That there was a fracturing of the relationship between God and humanity, humanity to self, and creation, before the first bite. Because as she looked at it, there was a decision that was made in her mind and in her heart. She was influenced by the serpent. But the decision of sin, the intention, began. And so it got the ball rolling. And in her heart and in her mind, the first thing that happens is she begins to question the goodness of God. Not just, can I get this? But the question begins to come, echoing from the serpent. She begins to say, is God holding out on us? Is there more than just what we see? Could there be more? Is God really good that He would hold this from us? Is He just being selfish that He doesn't want us to be like Him? And so when she begins to have these thoughts, as it says that the food, that the tree was a delight to her eyes, that was good for food and that it was to be desired for insight. Those are things that God never intended for her. Something shifts and there is this cataclysmic shift that begins to happen no longer is God at the center. For when God creates the tree of life, the tree of goodness, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and places them at the center, it's a symbol of His centrality in their lives. Up to this point, they had received everything from Him. It had come from Him. And they were to receive it, and that they were to live from it. But as Eve looks at that, no longer is God at the center, She begins to place herself at the center. And God moves off the center. And Adam places himself at the center. And no longer are their lives to be in connection to God receiving, but their lives are in disconnection, lived with perpetual perceiving what's good and evil. They became the ultimate judge. They became the ones who decided what was good and what was not. And they were able to experience good and evil. Something that was never intended for them. Out of God's prohibition, there was a protection. And instantly, there is an exposure of their capacity to not be able to handle it. Because as they are flooded with the knowledge of good and evil, their first reaction after saying, God's holding out on us is to look at themselves and see that they're naked. And then they, after that, they they go and they hide. They hide in the bushes with wearing their fig fig leaves. And God is coming in the cool of the day like it is right now here at Cornerstone. And God is calling out for them. Where are you guys? It's time for our walk. And just like a toddler who plays a horrible game of hide and seek, they're saying, we're over here in the bushes, we're here in the bushes, and we're naked. And God is saying, you're terrible at hiding. Well, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Adam's first response is to say, Yes, she made me do it. Eve made me do it. God looks at Eve. Eve looks at the serpent. He made me do it. And we have this beginning of this blaming that's going on. And then God brings them together and he hands out the punishments to Adam, to Eve, to the serpent. And then he takes them and he says, You no longer can live in the center. No longer will you live your lives in the center of the Garden of Eden. And feast on these trees that I have provided for you. He takes them and he places them outside of the garden. Life is now no longer lived from the center. Receiving. But now life would be lived perpetually perceiving what is good and what is not good. And having to work for it all. And they're separated. But it's no reason that this beautiful tree called the tree of the knowledge, good and evil. It's not a It's not unintentional that it was in the middle because those trees represented the place in which God was to be center and to provide and to get to say what they could and could not do and when Adam and Eve perceived there was good took of it ate of it they switched roles and now there is this great transaction and they traded their perfect union and love that they received from God and now they trade it to live a life of judgment where they have to work for everything, and where they have to judge whether it's good or it's bad. You know, there's so many different areas that I could go into with this story. There's so many things and so many questions, and I think this is the first time I've done this much studying on it, and this will not be the last. But as I come to this, that there is something that flows to the top of this. That as we look at just the basic nature of the tree, and then we move into the eyes of chapter 3, we see that this transaction, when humanity looks at something that was not for them, and they decide, you know what? I want that. And they reach for that. That in the motion of reaching for that tree, there is a transaction where they trade love for judgment. And they take God out of the center and they put him on the stand. And they look and say, are you good? Are you holding out on me? And so there's this action that happens. There's three major judgments that I see in this passage as we kind of come to a close and I have a few more thoughts. But there's three major judgments. And the first one is that when Eve looked and she was convinced by the serpent, sin began before the first bite because she put God on the stand. And said, is he holding out? And after she looked and figured he was, she bit into it and gave it to Adam. But when we feast on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when we place ourselves at the center, oftentimes we place God on the stand. And we're saying, prove to me you're good. Prove to me I should believe in you. Prove to me that you are God. If you were really a good God, why would this happen? One of the things is I read this over and over and over again as I talked to friends. The first question that we most of the time ask, if God knew that they were gonna eat of this tree, why did he put it in the midst of the garden? First of all, I don't know. Second, when we ask that question, we are asking it with the taste of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in our mouths because we are saying we know better than God. And we are judging God to say, why would you do this? How could you do this? Now, we need to ask questions of God. We need to wrestle. There are seasons of doubt. But in this, for me, I just feel that there is this ratcheting, this is beginning of this change to say, oh, my word, God, I have constantly moved you from the center of my life and put you on the stand. You've become the subject of my scrutiny instead of the object of my affection. And I've been off. And I have the taste of the knowledge, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we judge God. Is He good? Instead of allowing God to be God. As we move from this judgment of God where we take Him from the center and put Him on the stand, the next person that goes on the stand is self. When Adam and Eve ate of the tree and their minds, their, their, their eyes were open. The first thing is they realized they were naked. It's kind of a curious thing for when you're infused with the entire breadth of knowledge of good and evil is the first response is I'm nude. But I think that it's kind of a moving past the humor of that is one of the things that they do is they realize their differences. That as Brian gave a message on gender, they realize their differences. And instead of this being something that they would celebrate, this becomes a competition. And the question is, I am different from you. Am I good? Am I good or are you good? And so there is this evaluation. And in the evaluation for them, they judge themselves with the same question they judge God. Are you good? And they judge themselves as they look at the uniqueness of who they are, that I am different. And they say, I might not be good. It's exhausting to continue to evaluate oneself. There is a great book called The Power of Twos and it talks about the relationship between a choreographer and a dancer. And they had this amazing relationship and one of the things is trust was built. The dancer said that she was able to just try her best and give all her energy and trust that he would be the judge whether it was good or not. And this alleviated her of self-criticism. Oh my word, just as I say that, the idea of having our lives alleviated of self-criticism. And this is what the original tent was. Humanity was not to live every moment judging whether it was good or not, whether it's actions are good or not, whether it's ability, their looks, their intellect, any of that. It was just to receive the value that God gave and then move from that. But when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Each one of us are on the stand being judged by ourselves, and we ask the question, Am I enough? And instead of receiving the perfect love and living from that, we are constantly living every moment, trying to fill ourselves up and perceive, Am I enough? And so the consequences of that, of God is on the stand, we're saying, Is He good? Is he holding out? The next one, as they looked and see that they were naked, they hid themselves and they said, I might not be good, so I'm going to hide that about myself. And then we see that Adam's reaction after God says, who told you you you're naked? He turns and he looks at his wife and she said, he says, she did this. It's her fault. She tricked me. And so, what Adam is doing is he is judging her, and he takes Eve from being by his side in the center of the garden, and he places her, takes her out of the center, and places her on the stand. And he begins to judge her. And instead of the relationship being one of love, it is one of judgment, where he's saying, Are you good? Are you enough? You've tricked me here. You made this mistake. And there is a fracturing that begins with the relationship with God, the relationship with ourselves, and the relationship between one another. Because as we took the fruit of that tree, the transaction was to give away love, to receive judgment, and to live from a place of judgment. This is a tragedy. This is, you know, oftentimes as preachers we stay away from this passage because it's really complex and I know that I am being uh, naive and just kind of skimming the surface with this. But there is something about this where we look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that it represents that life was to be lived from the center where God was the center providing. But when the transaction happened, where we took of that fruit, we no longer had him as the center and we placed ourselves there. And it caused us to leave the garden and it caused us to live our lives perpetually having to perceive whether things are good or not. In this time that we are in COVID-19, in this time that we are in with all the racial issues, all the economic issues, I can say I am absolutely exhausted of trying to evaluate what's good or not. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And to see, wow, this is never the intent. The intent was to receive and be in relationship with God. I love that God does not leave it like this. That even in the midst of his punishment, as he's handing out punishments in chapter 3, he says, and I will crush the head of the serpent and he will bruise my heel. And what is saying is, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. And one of the ways that he said he was going to fix this and that he did fix this is he gives us his word. The Jews believe that in Sinai, That on Mount Sinai, when God gave his law, his word, that it was giving them the ability to realign and put God back at the center. That they wouldn't have to perceive what's right and wrong anymore. Taking them out of their slavery and again putting God at the center. He gives them their word to say, this is my judgment, live by this, align by this. I love what Abraham Heschel says. Let me find this one, one quote. He says this, he says, The fact that we are given the knowledge of His will, which would be the Torah, the law, is a sign of some ability to cope with evil. The voice is more than a challenge. It is a powerful enough to shake the wilderness of the soul, to strip the ego bare, to flash forth His will like a fire. To the Jew, the, Sin, uh, to the Jew, Sinai Sinai is at stake in every act of man. And the supreme issue is not good and evil, but God and His commandment to love good and to hate evil. Not the sinfulness of man, but the commandment of God. What is the antidote to this for the Jews? Sinai was the ability for them to cope with what happened with this tree. When they ate of this, they could no longer perceive on their own and they would choose wickedness And God says, I'm going to give you my word. And this is going to be the antidote to cope with evil. But God and his benevolence didn't even stop there. Because he moved past being able to cope with evil. And when he sends his son, the word became flesh to dwell among us. And when Jesus died a sacrificial death and rose from again, no longer was it just to cope with evil, but it was to conquer evil. No longer was it just to cope with the ramifications of eating of the tree of good and evil, which was death. It was to not just cope with that, but to conquer that. And so we have here that with Jesus, there is this ability to reverse what happened even more so. That no longer is humanity at the center. But through his word and through as the word becomes flesh, Jesus returns to the center and realigns us to how it was meant to be in perfect union and relationship with God. And no longer do we struggle to discern constantly of what is good and evil. He gives us his word and he fills us with his spirit and we align to him and it places him at the center in right relationship with God, which places us with right relationship with one another and right relationship with human- with, human- with with creation. I got it out. <laughs> but I love that. That as we look at the story Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and all its complexities if we won't get bogged down and take every question to the extreme but simply see that this is something that was created by God he had already provided that by prohibiting us to eat this he was establishing his relationship and his order and revealing our capacity but when we broke that we put ourselves at the center and now we live a life having to judge on our own whether it's good or bad and we have to look at this and we're always looking for this to fill our own self but then through Jesus the other tree on the cross we now have the ability to return God back to the center and that there is a river that flows from that place and flows and waters, river of life, that fills us with with life and flows from that. And so here's what I want us to do as I've given you a lot (laughs) to think about. And hopefully my ramblings haven't distracted you. May we begin to read this passage and say, Lord, I see that there's evidence in my life of where I eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that, I make myself the center. And that many times I move you from the center of my life and I put you on the stand. And it distances me from you. And this isn't a stand that is a throne, this is a stand where I judge you. Like a deposition. Forgive me, Lord. May you be God. And may you have the authority in my life. And the next thing is I place you at the center once again to say, I align myself to your ways and to your word. No longer am I constantly looking at myself and hiding to say, am I good or am I enough? But I simply receive what you have said about me and I live from that place. And that love flows in me and through me. And Lord, as I begin to move you back to the center of my life, your ways and your word, may I take people and may I stop putting them on the stand, constantly looking at the actions of everyone, whether they are good, whether they are bad, through my own eyes. Lord, I do that so much. Friends, I have to admit that as I was preparing for this, it's been, you know, somewhat agonizing because I've realized how much of a judging person I am that most of my interactions are through the filter of is this good for me or bad for me and it's judging and I've traded love and provision for judgment and perceiving And so friends as you go today I want to bless you in the name of Jesus That because of Jesus, as we call on his name, we return him to the center. And will you do that where you're at? And I just invite you just to take a posture. You know, I do this all the time at the ending. Just take a posture of opening up your hands. I bless you in the name of Jesus that you have the ability to surrender. That you be able to say, Lord, I have been at the center of my life for too long. And I see the ramifications and it actually leads to death. And now I return you to the center of my life. And may it be a place of provision. I bless you, my friends, to take yourself off the stand and to place God at the center and that you stop looking at everything you do through the lens of competition and comparison. And I bless you, my friends, to begin to align yourself as God is on the center to his love for others not your judgment of others. There are times we need to judge and we'll get to that another day. But judgment always comes from a place of love and authority. And that authority belongs to God. And so I bless you. I pray that you may grow in your relationship with the Lord and that he becomes the center. You live a life of love, peace, joy and fulfillment.